God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it will speak to us and that we will hear what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is expecting to hear from God this morning? Are you expecting to hear? Sometimes I worry that we come to church and we kind of just come and we, we don't expect to meet with the living God. We want to tick a box maybe. Or, you know, it's a, it's a big thing to meet with God. It's a big thing to meet with God. We expect him to hear. Is God going to speak this morning? I hope so. I hope so. <coughs> a few years ago, uh, Jenny and I received a parcel in the post from a friend of ours uh, who now lives in America. She sent us a package and we opened it up and it was a little book. It was this book. Uh, it's called The Littlest Watchman. Uh, we were very encouraged. It's our friend who's a Christian. She sent it for our children. And it's about a little boy who is called Benjamin. And he lives in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And he's part of a line of what is called watchmen. And whose task it is to wait. Their whole task is to wait. Specifically to wait and to watch a particular stump. And according to the tradition, one day, God would bring about the miraculous new life from this stump. It was quite boring for Benjamin. And often his friends would go and play and he got tired. But his father told him that he was part of a long line of watchmen that had been waiting for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And he often thought, well... Maybe I'd rather go and be a shepherd or go and be something else or go and play with my friends. But it says in the book, something deeper began to trouble Benjamin. He had always believed that the maker would send the promised king, but he couldn't help but wonder what was taking so long. One evening, his eyes were drawn to the skies and a bright light and the angels came. He looked back at the stump and a small green shoot like this had come. He ran into town and he saw the shepherds who he had seen earlier on and they said to him, yes, the king has come, this king that we have been waiting for. Would you like to come in and meet him? A beautiful story. I encourage you uh, to get a copy if you're a child or an adult. It's a wonderful story to uh, to read as you anticipate Christmas. And it depicts this sense of waiting that Advent is all about. This time every year. I don't know how many years old you are. I'm 37. I'm I'm happy to say that. That's fine. I'm getting older. Early middle age. I call myself now. There we go. I've done 37 Advents, and it might get a little bit boring. You know, every single year we do the same thing, don't we? And, you know, it's the same for Pentecost or whatever, whatever part of the church calendar. But we've come to this time of Advent. And I don't know about you, but I look at the shops. As soon as you finish Halloween in all the shops, it suddenly becomes like Christmas, doesn't it? Every you look, you kind of see all the, the different things and the adverts come out and everything. But actually, it kind of gets it the wrong way around. According to Christian tradition, this is a time of not the exciting bit comes first with all the shops. And then Christmas Day comes and you eat too much 
and it kind of all finishes. But according to the Christian tradition, Advent was a time of waiting until Christmas Day. And then there were actually 12 days of Christmas. The exciting bit came at Christmas itself, not all beforehand. And this season of Advent is about anticipation. I don't know what words come to you or, or, or images. When I think of anticipation, I think of this. It's quite good, isn't it? Kind of waiting, you can't wait for what's going to happen. Anticipation for us has two aspects. Firstly, we, we put ourselves in the place of Benjamin, of the people in the Old Testament waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah, the Jewish people. The house of David had laid dormant for 600 years by the time of this story when the littlest watchman was set. The nation had been sent into exile and they'd come back into the land, but it was under occupation. And they were crying out, Lord, how long, how long will it be? When will you rescue us? As Christians, of course, we know that Jesus did come. But as well as remembering that first coming, we anticipate a second coming of Jesus Christ. Advent, the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. We anticipate something new from God. It's okay to be excited about Christmas, that's fine. But it's also kind of a time of quietness and reflection and prayer. As we enter this season again as a body here in Old Swan, Stonycroft Salvation Army, what should be our posture? What can we learn from this passage? Well, there are a few things that I think this morning I'm going to go through them this morning. The first thing is that we need to remember the Jewishness of our faith. It says in verse 1, A shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? Anyone want to shout out? David's father. Absolutely, that's right. David's father. David, this great king of Israel, of Judah. Jesus says in John chapter 4, when he's meeting with the woman of the well, salvation comes from the Jews. And this is something that we maybe have forgotten as Christians over the years. Jesus was not attempting to, to start a new religion, but we as Gentiles, I don't know if anyone has a Jewish background here, but most of us are Gentiles. We have been grafted into God's people. This is not a faith that is of our own. The idea was Jews and Gentiles together. The problem was when we started thinking this faith is ours, it's not from the Jews. And we think, well, the Jews, most of them didn't accept Jesus. And there's been a horrible history of Christians persecuting Jewish people over the years. God still loves his people, even if they haven't accepted him. But in Christian history, there was a, a man called Marcion in the, in the early years of the church. And he kind of said, well, the God of the Old Testament looks quite different from the God of the New Testament. So we can kind of get away with that. Look, the God of the Old Testament looks quite angry and violent and it doesn't look very much like Jesus so we can get rid of that and we'll just have the New Testament but according to, to Christian you know the, the councils they said no that's wrong the Old Testament is Christian scripture just as much as the New Testament and brothers and sisters this is a time once again of rising anti-semitism in our society will Christians stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters, or not? 
Of course, there is the thorny question at the moment in these very precise moments of the, the question of, of Israel and Gaza and all of that. And there's, of course, not time to get into that here. Does it mean that we support everything that the state of Israel does as Christians? I don't think so. And there are issues around that, I think. But there is no doubt that there is rising anti-Semitism in our society. And as our, our history as Christians, the persecution that we've, we've given to Jewish people, we need to stand with them and repent of our history. That's the first point. There is a Jewish, uh, uh, Jesus was Jewish. There is a very important point about that. Second thing is that this shoot that will come up this shoot that will come up on the stump, it will have all the qualities of God himself. What does it say in verse 2? The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. There are seven aspects there. They're put in bold. And seven, of course, is the perfect numbers. God created the world in seven days. It is a seven. Uh, seven is the perfect number. We continue in verse three and four. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What a contrast to the rulers of this age. These politicians who never seem to have any of the answers. Of course, while many of them are trying their best, there is only one who will judge with complete righteousness. And if we put our trust in him, he will be the one. If we allow him to be the one who orders our lives rather than any institution or any nation, that's the call of the gospel, brothers and sisters. That is the, uh, the question. What is it at the end of the day that orders your life at the fundamental aspect of your being? Is it, is it an institution? Is it a nation? Is it your family? Those things aren't bad, but at the fundamental aspect, who is the only one who can judge rightly? Who is the one who we can put our trust in? It is Jesus Christ. Thirdly. There will be a transformed world when this shoot comes. These beautiful verses from uh, uh, verse 6 to 9, they come up on the screen. I'll just read a few of them. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. This is captured beautifully by a famous painting in 1832 by a man called Edward Hicks. This is called the, the Peaceable Kingdom. It's a famous painting based on these verses where all these animals are living together and the little child is leading them. This is a vision of the world when the shoot comes. It's important to note a few things about this shoot then. It's more than just personal. It's more than just a personal thing. We've talked about this before, but God's salvation is not just for us individual humans, but the whole of the cosmos. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the whole creation groans like in the pains of childbirth. And Isaiah says that even animals will feel the impact of this. They'll stop eating each other. 
there will be true peace. There was an amazing moment in the last rehearsal of the plane um, this uh, last week when uh, Andy had died. Trish mentioned about Andy and there was great sadness. And we had a moment of silence and the children were all there and they were running around and being very, very loud. And there was a miracle, an actual miracle occurred. They were silent for a whole minute. <laughs> and I kind of thought to myself, is this peace? Is this what true peace looks like? There were 12 children, I think, and they were all quiet. Maybe that is true peace. And Isaiah says, a little child will lead them. This branch will be full of humility. It said in verse 1, didn't it? A stump from the branch of Jesse. It could have said a branch from David, this amazing king. David achieved a lot more than Jesse in his life, but no, there is humility. This branch will have all the humility of not saying, I come from David, but it came from, from Jesse. And this stump, this branch, will not be a mighty warlord who leads these animals and forces them into submission, but a little child. This reminds me of, of Revelation chapter 5, when the scroll at the heart of history, the, the very meaning at the heart of the universe, the heart of the cosmos, the, the writer of Revelation says, no one can open this scroll. Who can open it? And the only one to be able to open it is the slain lamb. The meaning of history, that the heart of the, the cosmos is not coercive power and might, but it is a slain lamb or a little child. The one who has come to rule with authority is aligned with the meaning of history, this, this little child. That's what true power and might and authority and meaning looks like. I don't know if you've been going along the Prescott Road in the last few days, there's a big poster as you go into Kensington. And it says there's, a, I think, Sky Movies or something says that movies make Christmas. <laughs> Actually, according to our tradition as Christians, we're gathering together to declare today, it's not movies that make Christmas, but it is the little child who makes Christmas, who leads the lion, the wolf, and the lamb. But there's a problem here, isn't there? This prophecy was said that when this shoot comes, the world will look like this. I don't know about you, but I look around myself and I think, well, the world doesn't look much like this. Lions still eat lambs and wolves still eat lambs as well. Animals still eat each other. There are still wars. The world looks quite dark. What should we make of this? We believe as Christians that the, the the, the shoot has come, don't we? Well, why, why are these things still happening? Well, it depends where you are looking at this from. From a worldly perspective, outside of Christ, yes, there is still anger and strife in this world. There is a need to protect what is rightfully ours, to cling on to things, to force others to give up what is rightfully ours. But in Christ, the New Testament says, there is a new world, a new kingdom that has risen up 
in this kingdom, the wall of hostility, Paul says, has been broken down. The need to assert our wills upon others have gone. Theologian Stanley Harbour says this, the world isn't what it appears to be because sin has scarred its appearance. The world has been redeemed, but to see its redemption, to see Jesus, requires that we be caught up in the joy that comes from serving him. Isn't that great? As a result, our call as Christians is not to change the world, to exert all our energies and powers to change the world, but to live in the light of the change that God has brought about in Jesus Christ. The world has been changed. When a little baby came 2,000 years ago, and he was human and he was God, when Jesus died on the cross, the world has been changed, but it doesn't know it yet. And we are the people, brothers and sisters, who are called to live the change that God has brought about. I said earlier, we are from many nations around the world. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken. We can live in fellowship together. If someone walks in this morning and sees us, are we at peace with one another? What is our witness to the world? That is... The requirement that we be caught up in the joy that comes from serving him. So even in a dark world, even where there is sin and strife and homelessness and war, we can be the light that is shining and showing the world what it can become. Amen? Amen. Finally, a related point. The shoot will bring these nations together. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. God always promised that his nation would be a light to the world. In Genesis 12, when he called Abraham, he said, you will be a light to the world. Israel didn't quite live up to this fulfillment of this. So this shoot of Jesse, this little child, the baby in the manger, will be the fulfillment of that call. Verse 11, the next verse speaks of the, the tribes of Israel coming together, perhaps a precursor to the Pentecost when all the, the Jews from all the nations of the world came together for the outpouring of the Spirit. But verse 10 is specifically about us Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. We have been brought together to witness in a world where nations are at war with one another, we can show the world what it looks like to live at peace and live in the light of what God has done. What does this mean for us all then on Monday morning when you wake up tomorrow, get ready for work or whatever you've got to do tomorrow? Firstly, I want to invite you to enter this posture as we enter Advent of waiting. It seems like the world is falling apart around us, doesn't it? Cost of living crisis, wars, whatever it is, uh, culture wars, if not violent wars. While God has called us to certain tasks, we must say with our lives that the world is not saved through frantic activity. 
The world is not saved through frantic activity. Yes, God will call us to certain things. But just as Benjamin waited for this stump which came in Jesus Christ, we wait not only for Christmas Day when we will celebrate together, but we wait for Jesus to come again, the second advent, for his power to come, to finish the work that he began. Maybe there's something you are waiting for in your life, and you, sometimes you say to God, I just can't wait any longer. What is happening? Take courage, brothers and sisters. Benjamin and his, the line that he came from, waited hundreds of years for God to come. As it says in 1 Peter, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Let me encourage you that God is still working, even though you might be waiting for, for months, years, decades even, for your friend or your family member to turn to Christ, for um, something else, whatever it is to happen. God is hearing you, even in the midst of darkness. Secondly, we continue to faithfully gather and be sent each week. When we come here together, we say with our bodies as we are stretching and breathing this morning, you're saying by your physical presence here that it's important enough to bother getting out of bed even when it's cold to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ every week. As Gentiles, we've been grafted into God's great story of redemption, this story that is not our own. Amen. So we respond now. We're going to sing this beautiful old carol. It came upon a 